Thanks, Santino. How are we today? Well done for making it through the snow. I imagine trains have stopped all over the country and uh, all sorts of things now aren't working because we've had a, a sort of a, 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 a mild amount of snow falling. But it's uh, good to see you here today. Doesn't the carpet look good? If any of you fancy just sitting on the carpet because you want to enjoy it more fully, um, feel, free to, uh, feel free to do that. Um, I mentioned a few months ago that the reason we were able to do the carpet was because um, someone in the church very uh, generously um, gave a gift, um, a very large gift actually, to be, able to, to be able to make that happen. It was a gift of £35,000. Um, the carpet didn't cost that much, by the way, but, but uh, that was the case. And they'd given, they gave the first amount of money and then they said when they were able, they would give the, the remainder of it. Well, a few weeks ago, they gave the remainder, but they didn't give £35,000, they'd given £72,000. And uh, we're... Now, obviously, as a leadership, we're just obviously humbled by the generosity. Um, It's not actually generosity just of them, because as a church, you're a very generous church. We're also uh, humbled by God's provision and how he's got his eye on us, and how he's blessed us. If you think um, how things have gone over the last 12 months uh, since the leadership's changed, it's, it's, gone, it's been to what we expected this time 12 months ago. I don't think we imagined that we would have done quite this much, even with the auditorium. Early days we were thinking maybe we'd put a couple of curtains across the corners of the auditorium, we'd try and enclose it a little bit and yet we very much feel God has opened the door each step of the way and he's abundantly provided the finance, he's, he's led us, he's given us wide paths before us, you know, we've not tripped over and it's, it's not just that, things like community groups as well, we see very much the grace of God in, in these groups as we're piloting them. Um, we just sense really very much God's favour and blessing upon us in so many, so many ways and we're very grateful to him. And so as a church I wanted to share this with you so that you can be as thankful as I am for God's abundant provision and uh, just really amazing grace to us which is displayed in so many um, different ways. Matt and Helen aren't with us this morning, you'll have noticed that if you've got eagle eyes. Um, they are actually up in Putney this morning. Matt will probably be standing up and preaching his first preach to the church that he will be going up to lead in, um, in the new year. And obviously for us as a church it is a great loss. Matt and Helen are a real gift to us and we're going to miss their, their leadership, we're going to miss their friendship and yet we very much sense God's purposes and timing in this. It's not something we've rushed into, it's something Matt and Helen have spoken at length about to myself and other leaders here at Hastings as well as the wider leadership team in New Frontiers. And so we feel very much that God is in it, but I'd ask you to stand with us at this time as we pray for God to raise up more elders for this church. It's clear from scripture that you never see an elder leading a church on his own. There's always a plurality of elders, there's always more than one. And so we're very much seeking God that he will honour the word and raise up more men for eldership. Now we believe as we look around here, we believe God is raising men up 
and at an appropriate time we need to recognise what God is doing but we need to get the right timing and we're looking for the grace of God in that as well. We're also praying and seeking God to see if there, there might be anyone from outside that we can bring in to strengthen the team and we're just open to see what God does but if I can encourage you, please pray with us. Will you do that church? Yeah. Please join us in prayer at this time. Like I say, we're amazed at what God has done over the last 12 months and I imagine in 12 months time when we're, well, you're sat, I'm standing no doubt, um, here, I'm sure we'll continue to be amazed at what else God has done. Things that even aren't in our minds at the moment but God will lead us into. Because we are a people of promise. We're a people who are pushing out. We're a people that God has got purposes and plans for us to fulfil. And so we sort of are wait and see what God will do for us. Steve and Becky. Can you welcome them? They are uh, involved in leading... uh, They're involved in leading one of our pilot community groups called Friends International, looking to reach overseas students. And they're just going to share, just for a couple of moments, what's been going on um, down at St Mary in the Castle. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Um, we've been meeting down there for the last uh, six weeks or t- so. It's been really exciting. Um, thank you so much for praying for us. We've really felt a sense of God being with us and uh, we've had kind of regular visitors coming in over that time. Becky is a key part of the team and uh, she's going to tell us what it's felt like from her angle. Okay, well, um, it's been really interesting because um, over the five weeks we've had 28 students from 17 different nations so um, it's been really interesting having conversations to find out about like different cultures and like uh, particularly with Christmas coming up, seeing what it's like over in their countries. Um, and um, every week we'll do uh, sort of activities like quizzes, that kind of thing, um, where we just yeah we just have a really good time with the students and they can practice their English. Um, and they seem to really enjoy it. Like the feedback that we've got is really good. They've been saying that um, in the time that they've spent at Friends International. Um, they've spoken more English than in the entire time they've been in England. So, like, they're finding it really useful um, and they're inviting friends along and so it's, it's growing and the feedback we're getting is really good. Good, and we've been able to make um, some links up into the church. Uh, uh, well, one person particularly, I think she was a Christian, came and so we've been able to link her up and she's been here very regularly on a Sunday. Um, others came up to the choir on Friday. So it's a great time for us just to make links. Obviously we're thinking towards Saviour King. So we're really encouraged. Um, We've got ideas as well as to what uh, else we want to do. We are in one venue now. We can see that it's a model that we can roll out. So you know, I just encourage any of you really, if you're interested in getting involved with us, come and and have a look. Come and see what we're doing. 7 o'clock, well 7.30 we start, uh, St Mary in the Castle. Just come and have a look and uh, see whether it's uh, something that God would like you to be part of and maybe then we'll have the capacity to go into other venues and uh, there are plenty more students, I think, in our town who can, we can uh, reach out to. Thanks a lot. Steve, how many different nations? Is uh, it? 17. 17 different nations reached 
well, reached is probably a slight over-exaggeration, but, you know, you'll allow me that just a little bit. Isn't it great, though, 17 different nations touched by this church just in six weeks? Six or seven weeks. 27, 28 different people. Um, and and I, I know, because I've been down, down there just watching and looking, it's just great to see the conversations people asking, why are you doing this? We're, we're helping, obviously, not only for them to learn English, but it's just giving us the opportunity also just to share about the hope that we have, what God has done in us. It's absolutely brilliant. There are other groups or other pilot groups. There's one in Bex Hill, and there's also another one at Downs Farm, and we'll hear a little bit about different groups um, over the coming weeks. We're also looking to roll out some more community groups in the new year, which I know some of you are involved in core teams and you're actively working. I think some of uh, one of the groups met yesterday afternoon in the freezing cold and went for a walk and did different things. It's, it seems to be a really gathering momentum and it's excellent, really, really good. Last time I spoke, and it seems a long time ago now, um, about four weeks ago, we looked at Ephesians chapter 3 and it was a prayer prayed by the Apostle Paul for the church at Ephesus. And he was praying that the church would know the extent of God's great love for them. That they would have power together with all the saints to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of God and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Well, we're just going to pick up right on the back of that and go into Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be over the next two weeks looking at Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 16 and we're going to be looking at what is it to be a healthy church? What is, what is it to be healthy? Because um, put your hand up if you're feeling healthy this morning. Okay. Put your hand up if you're feeling unhealthy this morning. Right, could you all move over to that side of the auditorium because I'm sure no one wants to sit next to you. But actually, do you notice, you know, I, I never get a common cold. I never get a common cold. I only ever get full-blown flu. And it, it completely knocks me out. My nose is running, I'm coughing and spluttering, I can't sleep properly. Um, any other men here don't get common colds? You know, only full-blown flu, can you relate with me in this? And, and, and it just knocks you out, doesn't it? You can't, you can't perform as well when you're ill. Or I can't, anyway. Actually, Chloe does, my wife does pretty well when she's ill, to be honest. She doesn't really seem to break stride. Maybe it's only me that, uh, that struggles. But do you find that? If you're ill, not very well, it just affects life. affects your enjoyment of life. If you're like me, people don't want to be around me when I'm ill. <laughs> it's the same in organisations as well. You know, if they're not healthy, um, people don't really want to be around them. If you've got an unhealthy school or a school that's not performing, often, often children want to send their children to a school that is doing well, that is healthy. Or if you're in an organisation or working for an organisation that isn't healthy, you'll probably find that your colleagues and maybe even you yourself are thinking, I'd really like to be somewhere else. And it's the same in church as well. You can get healthy churches and you can get unhealthy churches. Healthy churches are amazing. But unhealthy churches don't want to be, don't want to be around them. And people don't want to join them either. 
And so we're going to look at this morning what it is to be healthy. What, it is, what is it to be a healthy church? And we're going to look at it under three headings and we find it in these first 16 verses of chapter 4. The first six verses are all about unity. So for something to be healthy, there needs to be unity. From uh, verses then 9 to 11, we're looking at diversity. We're looking at diversity of gifting, diversity of input, because actually unity doesn't mean uniformity. And actually Christian unity embraces diversity. Diversity of age, diversity of background, diversity of culture. That's a healthy church. The more diverse, the better. Amen? Oh dear, you guys, you're going to have to warm up this morning. The more diverse, the better. Yeah, that's what we want. And also a healthy church is a maturing church. You start when you become a Christian. Those two, those two people, I don't know if they're here today, but, but, but when you become a Christian, in a sense, it's like you're newborn and, and, and you're going to need a bit of help and a bit of a, a strengthening and, and building up. But actually, once you've been around for a little while, you should be putting on a bit of weight, you should be growing in maturity, you should be able to stand on your own two feet, you should be able to feed yourself. That's how healthy things go, isn't it? Healthy things grow, healthy things mature. And there isn't anything worse, is there, than maybe a, a 20-year-old that doesn't know how to look after themselves. You know, you're, you're just, why are you smiling, Dave? <laughs> You've got Claire, you're all right. <laughs> but he's a bit older than 20 as well. Um, but, 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 but healthy things grow and mature. And that's the same with Christians as well. And so we're going to look at these three um, particular um, uh, areas. Now, now, normally I preach the right sort of length of time on about four pages of notes. I've got nine pages this morning. What a groan. There's only a little groan, actually. I, like I say, I recommend the carpet is very comfortable. So if you want to have a lie down halfway through the preach, you're absolutely fine to do that. Before I dive in, let's, um, let's, let's pray. Lord, I ask you, by the power of your Spirit, to come. I pray would you come and fill me afresh, enable me to communicate just the things you want me to communicate this morning. Lord, I pray for all those here listening that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, at the end of the day, Lord, we don't just want this to be a listening exercise, but we want to meet with you. And we want your truth to change us and transform us. And I ask for your grace and your power to be with us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. I think what we're going to do um, is just read the first seven verses. So that's, I'm partly saying that just so the, uh, uh, just the PowerPoint it can keep up uh, to speed with what I'm uh, saying. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ 
apportioned it. I think looking at time, we're probably only going to cover the first six verses this morning. Um, I'm going to look at the first point and uh, we'll sort of see how we go, but I think that's where we will. And then next week, I'll pick up the following, uh, the following two points. Paul kicks off in verse 1 and he says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour here today, you have been called. You have been called by God to follow him. You may well have responded in a meeting at some point and you said, yes, I accept you, Jesus. But actually before that, God called you and it was that calling which you responded to. There's a general call, but there's also a specific call. The general call we see in um, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, where Paul lists this amazing call that we have had. He says that all of us at one point were dead in our transgressions and sins. We used to live in them. We followed the ways of this world. All of us lived among them, just doing what we wanted, when we wanted. But then in verse 4, we hear this, but because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. And, and it was brilliant this morning in the worship, just some of those readings. Did you enjoy those readings? Just enjoyed the grace of God, uh, being reminded of the grace of God as, as it comes afresh to us. God, general call, he chose us. He loves us. He, you, are, you are included in Christ Jesus. And, and for any of you who are here today who are Christians, that is what has happened to you. And Paul says, says live a life worthy of the calling you have received. It's not, like a, it's not like a free gift you get out of the bottom of a cornflakes packet. Have any of you ever, ever seen those, yeah? you sort of on the back of the cornflakes. Oh wow, free gift. So you're sort of rummaging down in the cornflakes to find it and you find this amazing thing that they're giving away for free and then you lose it within about two days anyway. So it wasn't, it wasn't that... This calling that we've received isn't something free just added in. It's something that came at a great cost. It cost Christ everything. And Paul says, look, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Let me ask you to think about that for a moment. Are you living a life worthy of the calling you have received? A calling that came at great cost and great expense to Jesus Christ. The first few words in this chapter are really interesting as well. It says, Paul, Paul who is writing to the church at Ephesus says this, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord. Paul was probably in Rome when he wrote this. He was probably under arrest. He doesn't say Paul, a prisoner of the Romans. He doesn't say Paul, a prisoner of uh, certain authorities. He says Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. You see, Paul was in prison because he was following Christ. Because he was living a life worthy of the calling he had received, he was in prison. So he's writing this. Can you imagine getting that letter? Santino, you're reading this letter, and it says, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. I urge you, Santino, 
live a life that is worthy of the calling you have received. The example, Paul saying, I'm doing it and it is costing me loads and loads. You live a life. Simon, Kate, are you living a life worthy of the calling you have? Can you feel the weight that the church at Ephesus would feel receiving this letter? Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. But it isn't just a general calling. There's also a specific calling as well. Um, Verse 10 of chapter 2 says this. For you, for you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God created you just like you are because he's got specific things for you to do. Live a life. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And he then goes on to explain what that life look like, looks like. And I've entitled these first few verses as under the title of Unity because I think all of these things that we're going to look at now are ingredients to unity. They're ingredients to having a church that is based on unity, based on... Um, based, built on love for one another and love for God. Um, So we're going to look at these things. It's interesting actually even in life, just in the whole thing with unity, how unity is so important. So I understand, and I'm no historian, but so I understand, in World War II, um, when Winston Churchill became the Prime Minister, the first thing he did was he brought together a coalition government something that reflected all the people. Facing a big enemy out there, they all came together. In marriages, unity is so important if a marriage is going to be strong. And when marriages or families are faced with adverse circumstances, unity is required. In actual fact, it's amazing what can be achieved when groups of people come together in unity. They can achieve far more than they could just on their own. And so Paul is, in a sense, encouraging the church at Ephesus, be in unity, be unified in the faith, be in unity. And he starts to explain and to describe what this unity looks like. And the first thing he says is this, he says, be completely humble. He says, church at Ephesus, be completely humble. If you want to make this cake called unity, what's the first ingredient that goes in? You need a big dollop of humility. In society, humility is not valued. Often it's seen as weakness. In Paul's day, when this letter was written, it was the same then as well. Let me read some phrases out to you, see if you recognise any of them. Self-esteem. Self-help. Take pride in yourself. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Take pride in yourself. Complete, do you know, pride and humility, they are poles apart. What about my rights? I'm an individual and don't forget my rights. All of those phrases are very commonplace, aren't they? You, you read them in the paper, you'll hear them on the news... Often people will go to court to defend their rights, even if it's the adverse effect to society at large. 
Right, pride. And obviously it's not all that all, all rights are wrong, but often they, are, they, are, they can be based and taken to extremes on the basis of personal pride rather than thinking about the good of everyone. The Bible says that pride is the greatest of all sin. It's the opposite of humility. And with pride we love ourselves more than God or other people. Humble people are concerned about God and others. The best example of humility that I know we find in, in Philippians chapter 2. So if in your Bibles you're in Ephesians chapter 4, flick a couple of pages and you'll find it. And this is what it says, Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. How often, Paul, how often do you consider others better than yourself? Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So when you're working up, you're making your plans for the day, you're making your plans for the week, when you're setting your budget with your money, are you thinking of your own interests, but are you also thinking of the interest of others? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God saying to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. I mean, I find that amazing. He, he, he starts off, he's, he's king of glory, he's in heaven, he is God. God with no beginning and no end, and it says, and he conformed himself. He was made, he came, came to earth as a baby. Being made in human likeness. And then it says, and then he humbled himself. And it says he became obedient to death. God doesn't die. God doesn't get sick. God isn't confined by our limitations. God has never woken up, looked out the window and said, oh, it's snowing, that's a shame. He's not, he's not confined like that, but he confined himself. He took on humankind, as Mark Stivy said a few months ago. <laughs> as Mark Stivy said, he's, he's, he was God with flesh on, humanity. But then he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Death of a common servant or slave. Crucified under a curse, despised and rejected by nearly everyone that knew him. The only ones that stood by him were a group of really faithful women who were braver than any blokes around. They stood there, supporting him at the cross. Everyone else ran away, but pretty much just rejected. 
He did not hold on to what it is to be God, but he laid it aside. He took on humility. And Paul says, follow the example of Christ. Let me ask you in your workplaces, are you humble? Are you thinking about your rights and, well, this is my role, I I don't do that, I couldn't possibly do that, that is beneath me. Or do you serve in the workplace? Are you looking for ways to express Christ's love in the workplace, in the home? Dads, after a hard day at work, do you come in and do you humble yourself and get stuck in with the family even though you feel tired? We won't even mention the fact that mum feels even more tired and is even more deserving of a break. But do we? Church, do we know what it is to be humble when we have friction and difficulties on a Sunday morning because things aren't quite going right between teams or things haven't been quite set up right? Do we know what it is to be humble? Verse 2, it says, Be completely humble and gentle. Gentleness walks forward with humility. Pride is the opposite of humility and if we're proud, we won't be gentle. If you're proud, you're likely to be brash and strong and yet if you're humble, more than likely it will walk forward with gentleness. That's not weakness, it's not that you're a pushover, but there is gentleness in you. In Matthew 11, 28-29, now I think this is God speaking, um, Jesus said these words, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The King of glory the creator of it all, gentle and humble of heart. And Paul says, be gentle and humble. Do you find that? It's good to be around people who are gentle, isn't it? Do you like being around people who are brash, grating? I find as a pastor that gentleness is one of my greatest weapons. Just, I don't always get it right. (laughs) And I'm sure you found the same. It says in Proverbs 15 verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Have you found that? Are you humble? Are you gentle? in how you act towards people. I nearly didn't bother even mentioning the next thing. Anyone looking at the the Bible verses know what the next thing is we're going to look at? Anyone want to shout it out? Patience. Because I was thinking, let me tell you my logic as to why I didn't think it was worth talking about. Everything moves so quick now, how can any of us be impatient? 
Do you know? You know, just ten years ago, if you wanted to find out some fact or bit of information, you'd have to go down the library. Do you know what I mean? And then you'd hope they've got a book that is up to date there. But now, you go on your home computer, you go on the internet, within ten minutes you can find out the most amazing facts that would have taken maybe weeks for you to find out before. Do you know you can fly anywhere in the world within 24 hours? Admittedly, you might have to jump out the plane as it's going over it, because it might not be landing there, but within about 24 hours, you can pretty much get anywhere in the world. A couple of hundred years ago, it had taken six months to get to India on a boat. You know, how can we be impatient? Do you know what I mean? Everything happens so quick. What about instant communication? You know, you can communicate with, with, again, anyone in the world pretty much instantaneously. You know, if I want to get hold of someone, I can ring your mobile number. Oh, you haven't picked up, I'll leave an answer phone message. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll also ring their landline. So I'll ring their landline. Oh, I'll leave an answer phone message on that as well. Or I might text them just to make sure that they get that too. Oh, and then there's Facebook and email. And so there's, there's um, loads of different ways that I can communicate just one message because what I want to say to you is really important and you can't possibly miss it. Actually, you really need to hear it now because it's, it's very important to me, therefore it should be very important to you. You know, how, how can we be impatient? It all, it all happens so quick. What about a microwave? In, I'd be rubbish. if I, I'll tell you one thing, it's so good that God invented me to live now. You know? In the olden days, I think they used to go hunting. You know, had to go and find your food first, then kill it, and then skin it and gut it, and then pop it in a pot. You had to go and collect water, it had to start a fire. You know, this whole process must have taken days. Now we've got things called microwaves. So I've been told. Do any of you look at the microwave to make it go faster? Oh, come on! I've got to wait three minutes for this food. How, how, can it, how can it be that we're impatient? You know, someone who lived a hundred years ago would be amazed at how much we can get done so quickly. I don't think that a society has so ever not understood patience as ours does. I, I, don't, I think we're a million miles from patience. We have no idea on patience. You see, patience has nothing to do with speed. It has to do with our attitude towards God and our trust in him and our attitude towards other people. That's what patience is to do with. At its root, patience is linked with pride. I am important and what I want to happen needs to happen now. Any of you ever get impatient behind a slow driver? Because you're in a rush to get somewhere? When I'm in no rush, I'm the most patient person in the world. Patience is linked with humility, it's linked with gentleness, it's also, in a funny way, linked with pride in the fact that if you are proud, you're probably not very patient. In the olden days, it used to be the strong dominated the weak. Now it's the fast 
dominate the slow. That's the society we live in. We're always looking for ways to do things quicker and quicker and quicker. And it's not that any of those things are wrong, but it's what's going on in our heart in it all. Internet, absolutely brilliant. Microwaves, great. Jet planes taking you around the world, all of that is good stuff. It's, it's a real blessing in some, some respects. It's, well, I'm not certain about you know, email, but anyway, other than that, I'd say you know, it's a gift from God. But, but what's going on in our hearts, in it all. Do you know God's patient? It's good that he's patient because people take time. See, people don't work as quick as the internet or mobile phones. I know that for myself. I'm sure you know it as well. People take time. Some may even feel that God is a bit slow. But the Bible says he's not slow as some understand it. He is giving time. He is being tolerant. He is loving because he doesn't want any to perish. Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. And again, in church life, in any life where you are close to other people, patience is a necessity for unity. It just is. One great preacher said, patience is worship to God. As we show patience, we are worshipping God. We're trusting him, we're loving other people. I'm worshipping you, God. Now, you are a very patient church. Let me encourage you, ask you, exalt you. Grow in patience. And if you thought patience was hard, wait till you hear the next one. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Patience leads to bearing with one another. Do you know that sometimes you can't fix or change people, you just have to bear with them. you just got to bear with them. You guys, you've just got to bear with me. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, no, we don't even explore that. But, uh, patient people put up with other people. Romans 15 verse 1 says this, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Bearing with one another. It's tough at times. But all we're doing is following the example of Christ. Humble, gentle, patient, bearing with us. How long has God been waiting for you guys to get it sorted? How long has he been waiting? How long has he been uh, bearing with you? 
He's been bearing with me for 37 years. I mean, he loves me. But, but God's perfect, his holiness. He's, he's, he's never done anything wrong. He's, he's amazing. And then I look at me. Oh, Paul, Paul, bear with others as I bear with you. Oh, wow, that much? <laughs> for a church to be unified, for a church to grow in unity, we, the ingredients we need to throw into the mix is a big dose of humility, a lot of gentleness, a big lump of patience, and then it all needs to be stirred together with bearing with one another in love. And as we move forward as a church, whether it's practical things that we're changing in the building here, whether it's community groups that we're launching, whether maybe you're in a small group or were in a small group that has now stopped meeting because many of the people are in community groups, what we need as we move forward as a church is lots of patience, lots of bearing with one another, lots of hoping for the best and hoping for the best in God, lots of gentleness as we talk with one another, lots of humility. Because that's how we move forward as a church. You know, when, when no one or any, nothing moves... It's all very easy, and I'll probably finish on this point. San and John, can you come and join me on the stage? Just, just sit on the stage with me here. That's it, nice and close. You know, and you know, that's it, thanks. Well, not that close. <laughs> See, we, we can sit for hours like this without, well, we're not going to, just put your minds at rest. But we can sit for, we can sit for hours like this when there's no movement, and San and John will not annoy me. Well. <laughs> but if we start moving about and the space is a bit confined, it won't take long before we start getting on each other's nerves. If any of you have uh, had children, little children, and they climb into bed with you in the morning, you're all nice and comfy, all nice and peaceful, and then these little wriggling things... <laughs> getting to bed and their cold feet are going everywhere and they're moving around and pulling the covers and, and suddenly gentleness and patience and bearing, they, they, they all suddenly take on a new lease of life. And it's the same in church, that as we move forward together, when there is movement, there's much more chance for friction. There's much more chance for misunderstanding. Well, you didn't exactly say that was how it's going to be and, and maybe we didn't say it because we didn't know. <laughs> We're still learning. Well, well, all these people were with me and when we were in a small group all together and we've been like it for a number of years, it was fine. But now, now they're all, everyone's moving around. Uh, I, I don't like it and there's a bit of friction. What do you mean? Get, get out of the way. Get out of the way. Can, can you see that as we move and we are moving forward together as a church, there, there is much more chance for friction and misunderstanding and people being hurt and that's why we need to be a church full of gentleness and patience and humility and bearing with one another. We love through it. We try our best. We do our very, very best to get it right. All of us will. There's none of us, I don't suppose, who are out there thinking, all I want to do is cause trouble for Kevin and Tracy Masters. <laughs> you know, the whole thing is to cause them trouble. We, we know that's not the case, don't we? You know, we're all doing our best, but actually sometimes I rub Tracy up the wrong way. I know it's hard to believe. 
And so if I can exhort you, to, ex- yeah, exhort you church, bear with one another. Be gentle. Pray for one another. Thanks, guys. Stand with one another in these things. Let's stand, church, and we'll finish by praying. In John 13, verses 34 to 35, it says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Sorry. Sorry. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for the unity and the love that exists for you, for one another, for those that don't yet know you. Lord, I pray as we continue to move forward as a church, whether it's sort of physical change to the environment as far as carpets going down and walls being built, or whether it's community groups being launched and different things going on like that, Lord, I ask you, Lord, that as a church we would grow in unity. I pray we would grow in patience. I pray, Lord, that we would grow in forbearance, that we would grow in humility and gentleness. Lord, we look to you. We thank you for your great grace. We we thank you, Lord God, that you've lavished all of those things on us and in a sense all you're saying is, well, reflect those out. And Lord, I ask for your great grace to be at work in us as a church as it is already. Be with us, I pray. I pray bless Matt and Helen in Putney this morning. I pray in hindsight that the preach went really well. Be with them after the meeting as they're chatting with people, I pray. Be with us as a church, Lord, as we look to invite people to save your king, as we look to gossip the gospel to those that don't yet know you. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you go with us and empower us in those things. We love you, Lord God. We thank you for your amazing faithfulness to us so far. And we pray, would you continue to bless us into the future. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Excellent. It's really good to be with you this morning. Do hang around for tea, coffee and refreshments and we'll see you at the prayer meeting this evening. Thanks very much.